Hello and welcome to another episode of the Asian Seller Podcast. I'm your host, Megla Bhardwaj, and today we're going to be talking about logistics and shipping basics with our guest, Rafael Elbaz from Unicargo. Hi, Rafael. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. And, you know, a lot of our listeners are very new to Amazon and also sourcing from China. So um, that's what I'm really excited about today's episode. So before we get into the content, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how did you get started with Unicargo? Yeah, cool. All right. So nice to meet you all. Uh, first of all, Megla, thank you very much for having me today. Uh, we all know that logistics is one of the untold stories in the whole e-commerce world and nobody really talks about uh, logistics and pitch logistics, which is a very, um, there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a big gap in, in, in the knowledge that courses and academies and you know people teaching Amazon does. Um, about me, so my name is Rafael. I'm the founder and CEO of Unicargo. Unicargo is a freight forwarding company I started back in 2014. Um, Unicargo is dedicated to e-commerce businesses, entrepreneurs, um, and companies. Um, today, I would say 80-85% of what we do is Amazon shipping, and which means we ship to Amazon all around the world um, from countries like China, India, Vietnam, Philippines, Thailand, South Korea, um, basically every country that exporter have their cargo ready. And we basically deliver it to any country where Amazon uh, operates uh, under the fulfillment by Amazon uh, method, FBA system. Um, we obviously provide all the IOR services, import of record services for foreign seller, which is a big issue as well. Um, I started dealing with logistics back when I was 22. That's 12 years ago. Um, worked with different freight forwarding companies, was manager in air exports and then ocean imports. And back in 2014, we, I accidentally got into, um, a client got to me and requested to ship his product from Israel. We're based in Israel. To ship his products from Israel to Amazon US. And I said, hey, no problem. Give me all uh, shipping details. You know, when you come to a freight forward and you have you, you want to get a quote, you know, you have a request for a quote. The forwarder will ask you for all the shipping details. You'll provide that shipping details and you'll get a quote in return. Now we approved the quote. He, he said, "Hey, that's fine. Let's go with it." And you know, back in 2014, there was not not so much buzz about Amazon, and not many freight forwarders knew how to deal with the, the animal called the Amazon warehouses. And as a traditional freight forwarder, I just told him, hey, okay, just, that's fine. Give me your consignee uh, details. The, the guy who, the company who receives your cargo in, in the U.S., give me their details. Give me their phone number and name that I can uh, schedule the delivery. And he said, no, that's Amazon. You cannot call them. Um, there is nobody to, there is no name. It's, it's a delivery to Amazon. I, I said, what do you mean? And he said, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta go there and just, deliver whatever he, he himself didn't know. And, and that's true by, for today as well. Most of the clients still don't know what is happening in, in, in their delivery or how, how it's been scheduled or how the cargo has been delivered to Amazon. Most of the people still don't know. And I started to argue with him and I said, I said, that's not true. It's not possible. I never heard of it. I've been doing it for many, many years. And he started arguing with me. We started fighting and we ended up, 
screaming at each other, and he, he was trying to convince me, I was trying to convince him, and I got mad, and I don't listen, leave me alone, I don't want to help you, leave me alone, just leave me alone, I got so frustrated, because he couldn't understand, he also said, hey, no, I don't have a US company, I don't have any entity, but I need to import, uh, it, it's, it was such a mess, and you know, I went home that day, and I googled, you know, Amazon FBA, to see what this guy was talking about, and I came into those Facebook groups and I saw a live and vibrant community, you know, talking and, and I said, wow, I, I, I told them, I said, wow, I was the stupid one. And I went back the other, you know, tomorrow, the next day and called the guy and said, you know what, I'm sorry, you were right. And I found him a way, I started researching, talked to Amazon, talked to, to many freight companies in the US and, and found the way to deliver it. And... Since then, you know, I did, I did that guy shipping um, and I thought to myself, well, he's sending, I don't know, 500 kilos of this and that product. I was familiar with e-commerce businesses like eBay and stuff. And I said, 500 kilo, he'll never sell that amount. And two days, two, two, sorry, two weeks later, he came with double the quantity. And then I realized, oh, oh gosh, there is something is going on here. And again, I started to offer our services and Amazon shipping, and we got a lot of a lot of traction and a lot of things. You know, a lot of requests coming in from all over the world. And again, that was back in 2014. 2014, we there was no competition almost. You know, in the freight forwarding world for Amazon, even Chinese freight forwarders didn't know how to send to Amazon back in 2014. And then I decided uh, this is going to be the, the next big thing, e-commerce and, and, and logistics to the e-commerce businesses. And I started the Unicog company. Today we are 60 employees around the world. Um, 30 of us are here in Israel in our headquarters. 20 of our guys are in China, in our offices in China. And we have another office in the US, office in Turkey, in Germany, and in Italy. Now a lot of people asking me, how come you don't sell on Amazon? You see all these clients, you see all these successful people. You know, we have clients shipping 40, 50 containers per month. You know, clients, we have clients selling 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year um, on Amazon. And a lot of people ask me, how come you don't sell on Amazon? And one of my tips is that if you do something, you do it well, just focus on that. And, you know, just, you know, Focus, you know, you got to focus and you got to expand your own business. So my question, my, my answer to them, I don't have the time to do it. Right. right. Uh, so, okay. So let's look at the, you know, shipping and logistics process today. So um, can you break down the, the process for us and specifically as it relates to Amazon FBA? So what happens, um, you know, once a, a seller confirms an order with the supplier, what happens next in terms of logistics and, and shipping? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. Now, the first question, the, the first thing the seller, and even before the logistics process, the first thing the seller need to ask himself is, how does my supply chain work? I mean, how long do I have until I need that product? Is it a new product? Is it something that I'm just launching and I can have it sent by ocean because I'm not in a, in a rush to get, I'm not going to be out of stock or anything? Or is it a regular product and that I sell, I don't know, I sell 20 units a day, I have 500 units left, and I have, I don't know, I have 25 days until I need my stock, or I have 10 days, or I have five days. 
the first thing the seller needs to understand, and a lot of the time we do it with them, you know, when we get a request, we ask, we call the client and we'll ask him, hey, do you need air freight? Do you need ocean freight? Do you need, maybe we can do some economical way or split it, like send 30% of the, the order by air to, to arrive fast and the, 70, the rest 70% by ocean, or do you need a half and a half? So the first, this first step we'll understand will be to understand the transit time required and the service required. And that will also affect the budget, obviously. If you send it fast, it'll be much more expensive. If you send it slower, you know, by ocean, it'll be much, uh, uh, much cheaper. So that's the first step. The second step would be to evaluate the shipment, the shipment size and the volume, the volume and the weight of the shipment. So the, the, the main things every seller will need to send to his forwarder would be the gross weight of the shipment, right? So you can divide it by how many boxes, how many master boxes you have, what is the gross weight, right? The total weight per box. So we can calculate the total gross weight, the total weight of the, of the, the cargo. And what is the size of those boxes, right? The size of the boxes will help us understand the volume of it, how much space it will take on an aircraft or in a shipping container. And that's, um, and the second thing will to be to understand what are the pickup address, where the shipment is coming out of and where it's going to, where it's going to. A lot of these new sellers, because they are just launching, they won't have a delivery address because they didn't create a shipping plan, right? They, they are trying to evaluate their shipping cost on a new product to launch. And obviously they didn't create a shipping plan on the seller central. So they won't have um, a destination delivery address, which is a bit tricky because we can quote to, you know, for if it's coming from China, for example, we can quote to, I don't know, one of Amazon warehouses around California area, which will be the cheapest ones, or we can quote one of the locations around New York area, which would be the most expensive one. So it's kind of a tricky business, but what we do is basically we give them three types of quotes so they can evaluate. Uh, one to Western US, one to uh, Midwest, to the middle, and one to the East Coast. So they can pretty much evaluate and understand where they stand regarding the logistics cost and launch. Um, another thing would be to understand what are the shipping terms with the supplier. Did they bought? Did they purchase the goods under X Works term? Did they purchase the goods under FOB terms? Uh, once we have all of that, we can start and create the shipping quote for the client. Obviously, if he has uh, a pickup address and a delivery address, you can give him a firm quote that won't really change unless he's shipping full container loads. On full container loads, the price changes every two weeks. Also by air, basically, and it also depends on the season, but usually prices don't change that much, again, except for full container loads. So we would be, most of the time, we would be able to give him a firm quote, whether it's going out of China, um, India, Europe, going out of US, going out of Thailand, wherever, or whatever, it doesn't really matter for us. Um, and once the client gets the quote, he'll then either approve it or either have some questions about it, and then the, you know we can uh, negotiate and talk about the terms. And they'll pro most of the time, people have questions about transit times, and the way um, and their duty import duties which is a big thing now if you're shipping from china everybody heard about the trump war uh the, the the trade war and trump duties and it's a very big thing in start of first of september 
everything that is going to be manufactured in China, 100% of the product manufactured in China will have drum duty, all right? Mm -hmm. Most of them will have 25%, and the rest doesn't have 25%, will have 10%. The 25% or 10%, it's very important to understand, that's an additional duty. That's not instead of, that's an additional. So if you're, for example, if you're importing bags, uh, purses, handbags, backpacks, money bills, anything with a zipper that looks like a bag, the regular duty, the, the ordinary duty is 17.4%. And then you add the Trump duty, that 25%. This comes up to 42% of duty now. So it's crazy. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's another, a lot of questions we got is about HS code. Hey, how do I classify it? Yeah. Uh, what's going to be my import duty? Um, can I, uh, can I uh, amend my commercial invoice? Can I lower the duty, which is highly illegal, by the way. We'll talk about it in, in mistakes people do uh, in, in a minute. Um, so, yeah, that's most of the questions. After they confirm a quote, we then our China office or, or Thailand office or wherever the supplier uh, is located, we will basically give a call to supply. Hey, we have an order ready for Megla. Uh, our data says that it's 100 boxes and that's the, that's the product. And Megla says it's going to be ready tomorrow. Can you confirm? Once the supplier confirms, we, we go ahead and do the booking with the shipping line or with the airline or whatever. And then we start to send the details through our systems to the client. Client get it, gets uh, updated on his um, you know, booking dates, on his departure dates. Um, we understood from, you know, we learn and evolve a lot of, you know, as part of being a young company. Um, right. So let's they, say there's an Amazon seller who doesn't have a company in the U.S. and, you know, they don't have a presence in the U.S. Um, so you mentioned IOR. So basically that's importer of record for people uh, who don't know what IOR is. So are you, do you, uh, you know, can you act as the importer of record for such people, especially, you know, a lot of the sellers in Singapore and Asia, they don't have uh, companies in the U.S. So can you explain that process a little bit, you know, how that works? Yeah, that's a very good question. Now, the U.S. actually is one of the easiest countries to, to, to provide IOR services. Um, it's easiest, first of all, because you don't have VAT on imports. Mm -hmm. All right, and you don't claim back your VAT as an importer, so it really doesn't matter who is the entity on your documents. Um, for big sellers or companies who are um, dealing with Amazon US or shipping to Amazon and don't have a legal presence, we will create what we call a customs assigned importer number. All right, customs will assign their company. You can be a Singaporean company, you can be an Indian company, or you can be whatever company in the world you, you, you are, and we can have customers assign you an importer number, and you can actually import under your name. A lot of big company loves that because by doing so, you still you keep the ownership of your goods throughout the whole way, right? The importer of record means also, in a legal way, ownership of the goods. So a lot of people don't want other people to act as their importer of record. I'm talking bigger companies and bigger uh, sellers. Smaller sellers, if it's your first shipment to Amazon, we can act as your importer of record. Um, we don't really need to go through the whole process of uh, assigning custom, a customs number to you. Um, so it really depends on the type of, of client we are looking at, all right? If it's a new seller, if it's a guy who has, I don't know, it's first shipment or it's a guy we know he has, 
two shipments a year or three shipments a year, we would act as an import of record. If we see that there is a potential for um, a bigger seller or if it's bigger, already established company that can work with us, we assign an import number for them and we, we create a customs bond for them, an annual bond. Um, and it's a very thing, it's a, it becomes a big issue now because as you probably heard, you know, one of the biggest trends today is selling your Amazon business, you know, doing an exit and selling right. your business. And we've, we've actually uh, escorted and some of our bigger clients to those type of deals. And we saw that on the due diligence that the buyers are doing to those companies that, you know, they want to acquire in that due diligence, they actually request to see their name on the import documents, to see that everything is legit, to see that they were the ownership of the goods throughout the whole way. So for the bigger companies, it becomes very, very important to, for their name to be on the documents, their name to be on the entry summary, their name to be on the customs databases. Um, so we put more um, focus on that today, all right? Bigger seller, we will create their own entity. It's free of charge. It doesn't cost money if you do it through us. Um, and it's just, that's the right way of doing things. That's okay. for the US. Um, Canada, you have uh, what we call the NRI, non-resident import. It's the same process in the US. Um, basically, it's the same process in the US. Only that in Canada, you have GST on import, right? GST is uh, goods and service taxes. It's like exactly like VAT. You pay it on your imports. That's another part besides duty. You pay GST as well. It's 5% in Canada, if I'm not mistaken. And you claim it back, you know, with your annual reports. Um, Europe becomes crazy problematic mm. um, because in Europe, you have the VAT. Amazon actually requires you on Europe to import, to input your entry number, your actual summary number into your seller central account because of the regulation in Europe. Um, Europe, the European Union is, pushes Amazon very hard and now Amazon reports those imports to the European Union. So in Europe, we, our recommendation 100%, get your own entity, get your own VAT number. You know, import, VAT on imports in Europe, it's 20% of your cargo value plus the shipping value. So it's a lot of money. And by having a VAT number, you can get it back. You pay that on your import and you'll get it back. You'll claim it back from the government. If you don't have a VAT number, you'll still pay that VAT on your imports, that 20%, but you will lose them. And that's a lot of money. So the, the recommendation for Europe, have your own VAT number, have your own URI number, and you can import under your name. Japan, we provide IOR services. Um, Japan also, they have VAT on imports, but Japan, because of the regulation, it's very hard for foreign companies to create a, to open to, to open an entity in Japan or a company in Japan. So in Japan, we provide IOR services um, completely. Australia the same. Australia, you gotta you gotta be an Australian resident, or one of your the partners in your company must be an Australian resident in order to create an Australian company in order to be an IOR. So because of the complexity in Australia, we do offer IOR services as well. Uh, without the need of being an Australian resident or with an ABN, ABN number and stuff. Um, Australia, by the way, also have GST on imports at 10%. Um, so yeah, that's basically about the IOR. We got our clients covered through Dubai as well. Amazon started to sell in Dubai. Dubai as well, we also provide IOR services. So for every country we operate, every country that Amazon operates, we have 
a solution, except for Europe, where we tell clients, if you don't have your VAT and your number, you lose money. And secondly, Amazon will shut you down today, tomorrow, in a month. They'll yeah. shut what you about down Amazon India? Money. Amazon India, that's a very interesting topic. Amazon India, you probably know India is a very regulated country. You know, import regulation to India is very strict. You gotta be an Indian company as well. There are companies who does that type of thing because we didn't have a lot of traction and requests to Amazon India inbounds. You know, we have a lot of requests for outbounds, ship cargo going out of India to Amazon US, Amazon Europe. We had very few requests to go into India, to sell on Amazon India, to, 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 to import into India. So we didn't tackle the subject uh, too much, honestly. Um, but I guess it will grow uh, bigger with the years and we will have to provide that services as well. Right now, we do not provide IOR services in India because it's crazy complex. Um, and most of the time, 90% of the companies will not want to pay that fee because you have to pay a fee. You got to have another Indian company act as a, your IOR. They will have to declare on those imports and it's going to be, it's going to cost, right? It's going to be a costly thing. And most of the clients, because they are trying Amazon India, you know, they're not actual Indians, um, India people selling on Amazon India from India. These are foreign companies. They're just trying the market. So because, because of the high costs, most of them just hear the cost and say, all right, no, thank you, but no. So okay. we haven't done that yet. So because of the, you know, the tariffs on Chinese made products, are you seeing an increase in exports from India or other alternative markets yeah. to the US? Definitely. We had direct clients, our regular clients. We see, I see 10 to 20% of my regular clients shifting and you know it takes time to shift your supply chain you know china is very um experienced in manufacturing it's very experienced with dealing with foreign buyers and they created an ecosystem that works perfectly in the past i don't know 10 15 years um so i see sellers and i see clients facing a lot of um, hiccups and a lot of um, delays moving their um, logistics, sorry, moving the supply chain, manufacturing um, to India, Vietnam, South Korea, um, Cambodia, Thailand, Nepal. But we do see we have much more shipments this year than last year from these countries. So the answer to the question is, yeah, we see a lot of people moving. We see a lot of people in the process of moving and we still we get a lot of questions and a lot of requests for help to help uh, find suppliers to help with sourcing in india and other countries we don't do sourcing so we we move them to our partners we refer them to um, um to megra yes uh, <laughs> but but yeah, we do see a lot of a lot of the we see the shift. We are aware of the shift, and okay. we, to, honestly, I think that it's it's a, it's a good move. It's a good thing to do. Um, I've seen beautiful, beautiful products manufactured in India and in other countries in in the same quality and sometimes even better than the quality than China. Um, 
prices are lower, import duties are lower. Um, you know, there, there is a GSP um, thing, uh, generalized system of preference. India was part of it until recently. Um, yeah. Vietnam is part of it, Thailand is part of it. And in my other uh, webinars, I teach people how to see if the product is GSP <clears throat> applicable. Mm -hmm. GSP means basically a generalized system of preference. The US government give um, preference to some developed countries. Um, they have a big list of countries. And you, you, can, you can search it online. If you have your HS code, you input your HS code online on the US tariff system and you can see that if the product is eligible for GSP or not. If it's eligible for GSP, not only that you won't have Trump duty, you'll have 0% duty, which right. is a huge, huge, huge um, advantage in today's market. Think about it. You, you manufacture bag, you are a backpack seller on Amazon, right? As we said in previously today, importing bags from China, backpacks, handbags, whatever bags they are, if you import them from China, you'll have an import duty of 42%. 42%, that's almost 50%, that's huge. If you import those same backpacks from a GSP country, and by the way, backpacks, backpacks are eligible for GSP. If you import backpacks from Vietnam, Cambodia, Thailand, Ukraine, or whatever, there's a big list of countries, you'll pay 0% duty. Think about it. Your competition, 95% of the time will manufacture in China and will pay 42% import duty. You move your operation to another country and you pay 0% duty. That's basically cut your unit price by half. Half. That's right. huge. And that can be a huge, huge, huge opportunity. That's right. why, you know, very good entrepreneurs, very experienced entrepreneurs and business people say, where there is a big crisis, there is also a very big opportunity. Mm. And I see this is the opportunity in that crisis of the trade war. You can find products, the same products at 0% while your competition still pays 25 or 40% duty. And that's a big advantage. But again, it's not for, you know, for the, it's not for, you gotta be an entrepreneur. You gotta go there, you gotta search, you gotta fly, you gotta go to exhibitions, you gotta work with sourcing companies, you gotta change the way you operate it until now. You know, in China, it's very easy. Go to Alibaba, find the supplier, talk to them, blah, blah, blah. We all know that. You gotta, you gotta go. You gotta go out of your habits, you know. And that's being an, an entrepreneur, you know. Really, you gotta break that habit because business is shifting, business is changing, things are changing. You gotta, you know, adapt, adapt or die, right? You gotta change your habits. You gotta work with a sourcing company. You gotta try new things, and then, then when you're really gonna win, you know, win the market, win the the, the best next product, win the price, and right. yeah. I mean, the supply chains, you know, may not be that developed in these countries. You know, even in India, uh, not all products are manufactured. For example, electronics, you know, you can't really find electronics yeah. there. So I think there are limitations to sourcing from other countries. And you, as you said, um, you know, there's, uh, uh, you need to go there. You need to go there to find factories. It's not easy to identify manufacturers. And, uh, you know, even if you do, they may not be familiar with the Amazon FBA requirements. And, you know, there are a lot of challenges, but that is an opportunity in itself because not everyone is going there, right? The, the barrier to entry is much higher. So people who take that extra step 
and uh, take the effort to find out all of this information to find new suppliers, I think they will be at an advantage for sure. So, okay, let's talk about another very important topic that I often see Amazon sellers get confused with, and, and this is dimensions. So, um, you know, what, there are different types of, uh, you know, dimensions, right? There's volumetric weight and dimensional weight and also, can you explain all of the different types of dimensions and how do they affect shipping costs? Right. That's, that's, that's a very good question. You know, we deal, today we deal with thousands of sellers every month. Among those thousands of sellers, I would say at least 30 of them are new sellers and new clients to our company and Megala, every week. I see a seller crying. Once in a month, I see them literally crying or hear them on the phone, literally crying and sobbing because they didn't understand volumetric weight before they manufacture. And let's go into that because it's very, very important. First of all, volumetric weight is a term used only for air freight, right? Only by air. Air freight, express, whatever moves by a carrier, by a plane, there, it, it will have either volumetric weight or uh, chargeable weight or volume weight or whatever you want to call it. It's the, it has different name, but the purpose is the same. And I, I will explain what happens for air shipment. Let's say we have an importer. Let's call it, let's, Megla, you are importing metal spoons. You know, these spoons sitting on top of each other like that. And... Mm -hmm. On a pallet, one pallet, you know, one uh, pallet, which is meter by 120, on one shipping pallet, you will have 1,000 kilos of metal spoons, right? It's metal. It's very heavy. It's dense. It's not volumetric. You don't put them on a nice bag, boxes, you know, with a lot of air inside. You put them in an op bag, OPP bag, all right? So this pallet will cost, will, will have 1,000 kilos, you know, one pallet. And me, Rafael, you, you, you are a spoon importer. And Rafael is, is a pillow importer, all right? And you'll have 1,000 kilo, right? Because, and because your cargo is very dense, it will be on one pallet. Me, as a pillow importer, I will have 1,000 kilos as well, all right? I manufacture pillows. I have 1,000 kilos. We put it on the scales. You have 1,000 kilo. I have 1,000 kilo. My pillows, and remember, your spoons took one pallet, but my pillows... 1,000 kilos of pillows, they could fill about 10 or to 15 pallets. And again, the weight is the same. They both weigh 1,000 kilos. So what the airline did, all of the airline companies, they are not stupid. I cannot charge you $3 a kilo for your 1,000 kilos and charge Rafael for his pillow $3 a kilo for 1,000 kilos because Rafael will take half of the plane and Megla will take a spot for one pallet. And then they came up with chargeable weight, with, sorry, with volumetric weight, which means that they will take the dimension of your product or your, or your boxes or your pallet or whatever, and they will, for, will, they will put it into a formula, and that formula will provide the volumetric weight. And chargeable weight is, or billable weight, and that's the, char, that's the weight you will be charged upon. The chargeable weight says it will always be the higher one, right? Either your gross weight, if your gross, for example, your pallet spoons 1,000 kilo, that's the gross weight. We put it on the scale, it shows 1,000 kilo. Your volume weight, according to the formula, will be 500 kilo. Your gross weight is higher than the volume weight. So your chargeable weight will be the gross weight because it's higher. My chargeable weight will be 
the 5,000 kilo, all right? That's the volumetric rate. Even though my gross weight and my actual rate with that 1,000 kilo, I will be charged according to 5,000 kilo. And here is the formula. The formula says, take your box dimensions or paradimensions. Let's say we have 50 on 50 on 50. I'll open the calculator to see what I'm doing here. Let's say we have 50 centimeters box on 50 centimeter on 50 centimeter. That box will weigh 15 kilos, all right? And we'll take 50 times 50 times 50, we will get 125,000. That we will divide by 6,000, all right? If we divide that by 6,000, that's the formula. Divide the, the height, weight, and width of your box or pallet and multiply that and divide by 6,000. That's the formula for volumetric weight by air cargo. Okay. Different than express, that's air cargo. And if you have your calculator open, you see that's 21 kilos, right? So the gross weight of that box is 15 kilos and the volume weight was 21 kilos, right? That's, I don't know, 30, 40, 30% different. Um, and when people don't know that formula, by the way, express, Right, DHL, FedEx, UPS, TNT, you'll have to take that formula and divide it by 5,000, not 6,000, which means it will actually come up as 25 kilos for that box, all right? The volumetric weight is even more, um, it's even higher, right? What happens is before people knows about it, they go and, you know, in Amazon courses and Amazon schools and academies, they teach how to how to differentiate yourself, how to be different. And a lot of people taking it to the box design. And they design these beautiful boxes, you know, product box. Design these beautiful boxes, that, you know, and, and they become bulky and big. Sometimes it's, it's a USB stick, right? It's a very small product and you'll have that size of a box, mm. which makes it five times more by the volume. And that's why I said I have, I hear people crying and, and literally I have people in my office crying and begging for help because they manufactured a, a product that they designed the, the box and they didn't calculate the shipping cost because they thought, all right, my unit, my unit weight is 300 grams. I'll multiply it by 1000 and I'll get 300 kilos. And all of a sudden, because they've designed this nice box and stuff like that, Instead of 300 kilos, they have 1,500 kilos. Mm -hmm. So they can't ship it by air because they'll lose their business. And all of a sudden, they must ship it by ocean all of the times. And it's much slower. It's much more expensive than they expected it to be. So the key, the key here is to understand, all right? Really understand volumetric weight and act upon it, all right? Before you manufacture a product, before you go and, and uh, manufacture a box or change the supplier's box, understand the effect it will have on your um, formula, on your volumetric weight. You gotta understand that. That's for air. For ocean, it's a bit different because for ocean, there is no thing as volumetric weight. Um, ocean is uh, calculated uh, by CBM, all right, cubic meters. Um, and the shipping line price is per CBM, so you don't really need to worry about ocean freight and volumetric products. Volume, volume calculation is only for aircraft, all right? A lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of uh, people in China will sell 
you know, for Chinese freight forwarder will sell ocean shipping, ocean services at a per kilo price. That's twisted. That's completely taking ocean industry, moving it into air freight. They'll charge people volumetric weight where they never pay for volumetric if they're weighed by ocean. So be careful of that. There are some services where you deliver by UPS ground and you need to these services by air, by volume weight and these services by, it's, it's a bit complicated, but just for you to know, volume weight is only for air cargo and express, all right? Only for, for shipments moving by airplanes. Okay, that's very helpful. So another thing I, I see people getting confused about is INCO terms. You know, there's XWorks and DDP and FOB. So, um, yeah, can you just maybe explain, um, you know, the what are the basic INCO terms that Amazon FBA sellers need to be aware of and which ones would they use most often? Yeah, basically INCO terms are a set of predefined rules um, that are set by the International Chamber of Commerce and published every 10 years. By the way, next year they're going to be INCO terms 2020. INCO terms have about 11 different terms in it, but for Amazon sellers, you only need to understand four of them. You know what? Even three of them. EXW, FOB, DDP, and DDU. That's all you need to understand. You don't need more than that. XWorks, one of the most common uh, INCO terms in China. XWorks means you buy the product at the supplier factory, which means the supplier is only uh, reliable, only responsible for manufacturing the goods. That's it. No more. The delivery is not on him. The export documents is not on him. Nothing is on top of that, right? So on export terms, you only pay for the price of the product. That's it. You are responsible as a seller, as an importer. You are responsible to hire your own freight forwarder and have your freight forwarder pick it up, uh, take care of all the export process out of your uh, origin country and do the rest. All right, that's one. FOB. FOB means free on board. Free on board means you actually bought that product, but the supplier, not only that he has to manufacture the product for you, he has to deliver it up to the forwarder warehouse at the origin country, up to the shipping line, up to the port, up to the airport. He does the local delivery, the supplier, and he does all the export process. And why it's important, export processes in China and in India as well, Export processes can be complex sometimes and can be very simple sometimes. So for example, if you are manufacturing a product that has liquids inside, that has um, strong magnets, if you are manufacturing a product that has uh, powders, all right, any form of sand, exporting these products under EXW terms, under export terms might be very, very complicated because it will need export, <coughs> special export certificates. So for non-general goods, we always, always push clients to buy under FOB terms. Let your supplier worry about the export process. Let your supplier, you know, most of the time we will do the export customs clearance and everything, but the supplier will be liable to provide all the necessary documents, all right? Export registrations, export licenses. Um, Let's say, let's take markers, you know, these ones. 
these markers. A lot of people selling that uh, on Amazon, a lot of people manufacturing on Amazon. When you buy these under Xworks, shipping these by air out of China under export stamps is almost impossible. You'll have many colors on your set. For every color, you'll have to have a special certificate, which costs a lot of money. So never buy these. If you plan on shipping by air, never buy these in China under exports. Always FOB. And you know, even if when you buy under FOB, a lot of the time the supplier will not have anything and will have to move it out of Hong Kong. Hong Kong is much more easier for exporting liquids and powders. Um, the export um, regulation is much easier than China. All right, so if you buy these, for example, product with liquids powder that needs special certificate for export, if you buy them and your supplier doesn't want to provide FOB terms, that means he has no certificates. All right, sometimes your supplier will argue with you on what terms they want to sell it to. If you understand that a supplier is not willing to send to sell under FOB terms, one either it doesn't have any export license. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Shipping companies buy that on behalf of supplier. That's not a worry. But if you have non-general cargo like that has liquids inside, again, these marker pens they consider as liquid. In China, they call them liquid. Uh, okay, um, pens which has ink. Uh, I don't know, pin, printer cartridge, um, things that have powders inside or sand. These are non-general cargo and Try not to buy them under EXW terms. The next terms would be DDU and DDP. DDU and DDP means that you are buying a product where the supplier is responsible for all the shipping process. All right. DDP means delivery duty paid, which means basically the supplier will manufacture the product and ship it up to your destination, including paying the duties at um, your destination country. All right. That's DDP. DDU means the same thing, but delivery duty unpaid, all right? The supplier is manufacturing your product, shipping it to your designated warehouse in your, um, in your destination country, but the duties you'll have to pay it by yourself. Um, these are the four that you need to worry about. Five, fifth one is CIF, CIF, cost insurance and freight. Do not buy under CIF terms. Whatever you do, do not buy under CIF terms as um, as a new seller, even advanced seller, do not buy under SIF terms. What happens is SIF. SIF means the supplier will manufacture that product for you and will send it up to the destination port. Only the destination port. So what happens is the supplier will hire a freight forwarder in China to send it up to, I don't know, Los Angeles port. Then you as a buyer, you will have to have another freight forwarder to take care of customs clearance, paying the port fees and have some trucking companies pick it up from the port and deliver to wherever you need to deliver. So first of all, you, you, you mix up two, two different folders, which is a very big mistake, right? It, it can cause a lot of mistakes, a lot of confusion. These folders don't never know each other, so they don't, cannot even communicate between them. It's a mess. Second thing, in China, the, the Chinese freight folder, or in India, we see it also a lot of India, the SIF cost, you know, the supplier will offer the client, you know, you talk to our supplier in Alibaba and you say, yeah, I'll, I'll do shipping for you for free. SIF doesn't even cost them anything. All of the expenses will be under the consignee liability in the U.S. For example, shipping, I don't know, 10 pallets out of India. That's a true story. Shipping 10 pallets out of India from Mumbai 
to Los Angeles will cost about $70, $70, 10 pallets. But what happens is in India, they will get it for free because the coal order, the guy who owns the container, wants the volume inside of this container. What happens when it arrives Los Angeles port, the import will get, will get that kind of a bill with many different lines and he'll pay $700, $1,000 on his destination, destination costs. And we call it the SIF scam, which in China they'll sell it for free, but then nothing is for free. There are no free gifts. Then in destination, you'll pay a lot of money to cover that, that free shipping, basically. So never buy SIF. You'll see if you ask for SIF costs from your supplier, you'll see the price is, is nothing. It's $50, sometimes $100 for shipping all of your goods, but that's not the true cost. That's not even close to cost. Wow. Okay. That's, uh, I think, really good information and good advice. So, um, you know, what are some of the common mistakes that you see Amazon FBA sellers making with regards to uh, shipping? Well, we see, we see a lot of mistakes. Um, first of all is people amending their product value to reduce import, import cost. Now, between you and me, a lot of people are doing it. They are, again, a freight forwarder cannot give you advice on that because it's, it's highly illegal. We, don't, we do not recommend doing it. Customs have databases and they know, you know, they have one of the huge, that huge database. Think about it. They have a record of every incoming shipment to the U.S. They have a record of every supplier, foreign supplier that actually exported to the U.S. They know the cost. They know their true cost. They know your true cost. How come they know? Because people has imported that product before you. They have all the data of the, the, the actual cost of that product. And you know what? Price can fluctuate 5%, 10%, 20%. If you're a Walmart, you'll get 30 35% cheaper than you know the regular client. 40%. We see people amending their invoices 50%, 60%, 70%. That's a huge risk to their business. We've seen shipments being uh, confiscated by customs. We've seen customs ask, hey, you said that your in you said that cost $1, show me, please give me proof. Customs will ask you for proof of payment. They will want to see the wire transfer you did to your supplier for that cost you declared on your invoice. So. The first recommendation, not do it, don't do it. If you have to do it, don't exaggerate. Be reasonable, all right? That's the first thing. Second thing we see a lot is people getting import regulation consultation from their exporter, from their supplier. For example, a supplier in China, you know, people will ask their supplier, hey, what do I need in order to import this and that into the US? Or what do I need in order to import that first aid kit into Canada? And you gotta understand how suppliers, especially on Alibaba works. Factories and suppliers in China especially, they will have departments, like they'll have a company with sales department, they'll have management, they'll have quality control, they'll have a production department, and all these departments have different roles. When you talk to someone on Alibaba, you will talk to the sales department. Sales department, 90% of the time will have, you know, not 90% of the time, but 80% of the time, sales departments in Chinese companies will have very young people working there, 
very good with the English, right? And they will not be experienced. They will be experienced on, on sales, but they will not be experienced in, in uh, international trade. And they will say almost anything in order to sell. So they will say things like, hey, we have a lot of clients in buying these products for us. You don't need any import. You don't need nothing in order to import that to the US. And that's wrong. Suppliers don't really have a clue about import regulation. Not to the States, not to Canada, not to Europe, nothing. So you got to get consultation from a professional body, either from your freight forwarder, either from a company who does import regulation. Now, again, most of the products don't need any special um, regulation in order to import, but some of the products do and you cannot, you, you're, you're, you're unaware of. For example, FDA in the USA, they will consider a medical device, any, anything, any product that will come to prevent, prevent or take care of pain or ease pain. For example, you know, first aid kits, there, was a, there were a very big thing in Amazon two years ago or three years ago. A lot of people were importing them. First aid kits are considered medical devices. A bandage, a small bandage are, is considered a medical device by the FDA, which the supplier needs to be registered with FDA. The import needs to be registered with, an, with the FDA. And there are a lot of import regulation to these type of products. Um, you know, toys are products that intended to the use of children under 12 years old. There is, you know, CPST regulation on them, you know, spatial labeling, warning label, um, test certificates. Um, so import regulation is a very big thing. And that's part of, you know, your business. You've got to understand your import regulation. The importer, the IUR is solely responsible for his import regulation, not the freight forwarder, not the supplier, nobody except the importer is responsible for import regulation. Don't take advice from suppliers regarding import regulation. They will not have a clue, right? Ask your freight forwarder because he does import into the US. That's his job. He will give you the right advice and he will back it up. He will stand by it. You have proof he gave you consultation. All right. A lot, most of the for, for freight forwarders will, will do it for free for their clients. So just have a professional near you. Um, we see a lot of, you know, Amazon shipping policy on August 2018, last year, on August, exactly a year from today. Um, Amazon sent a letter to all the FBA sellers regarding shipment policy. Amazon see very badly now shipment, what they call shipment manipulation, which means shipment manipulation when you create a shipment on Amazon and Amazon splits your shipment into three locations. Mm -hmm. And we saw a lot of sellers done. They deleted that shipment. Let's say you have a 1,000 unit shipment. You create uh, a shipment and then Amazon say, hey, 300 units sent to California. 400 units sent to Chicago, 300 units sent to New York. So they will divide you to West, Midwest, and East. And what a lot of sellers did, they deleted the whole thing and created a new shipping plan with triple the quantity, 3,000 units, even though they have 1,000 units. And then they found one warehouse from that split that was around 1,000 units, then they sent the whole thing to that. That's you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah. They will kind of trick the algorithm by creating 
you know, triple the size of their shipment to, so they can combine everything to one warehouse. And that's shipping manipulation. Amazon can shut down your uh, shipment pre, uh, creation privilege and we see that happens as well. So don't do that anymore. Um, if you have a shipment that you want to send part by air and part by ocean, you'll now need to create two shipping plans, two separate shipping plans and not have one shipping plan and, and just send two different shipments onto that shipping plan. So you need to create two shipping plans. Um, um, they will, uh, we see Amazon are very, very strict with their shipping policy now. Um, so you gotta learn and understand that. Again, consult with your freight forwarder. He'll know the best. Um, hopefully, you, you're, you're, as an Amazon seller, you're working with a freight forwarder who does uh, Amazon shipping. So he should know about all the rules by Amazon. Uh, um, another thing that we see a lot is people that go for the cheapest price and not according to their business needs. Sorry for, we see a lot of clients say, Hey, we just want the cheapest price. Give us the cheapest price. I got your quote was $100 than his quote and his quote was $200 cheaper than your quote. You gotta, people gotta understand that shipping services had, has a lot of different products, which means the, the shipping that you know the, the, the shipping quote that you got from company A is different than the shipping quote you got from company B because the lane might be different. Right? A lot of people going for the cheaper price, but then instead of I don't know 25 days, they get a 40 days shipping, and that 15 days that they, they out of stock or they don't have stock, they lose much more than $200 on that shipping quote. So a lot of the time people will ask us to hey. Listen, I, you gave me a quote for one thousand dollar. I got the quote for eight hundred dollar. Can you can you um, can you compete? Can you um, do the same? And we say, yeah, not a problem. We'll give you the same service these guys gave you. Hey, take seven hundred dollar. Take it even cheaper. And they they are happy. But then all of a sudden, when the shipping is on the way, they get very frustrated because it's 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 you know because it's slow and. Hey, that's what you ask for. And that's the same thing, by the way, with production in China. A lot of people are pushing their Chinese supplier for the cheapest price, cheapest price, cheaper price. Right. Chinese don't know how to say no. They will say yes to everything. They will say yes and they'll just give you a shit product. Or the, the, you know, the components will be very, very cheap because you pushed for a cheaper price. So you got to understand what you're asking for. You got to make sure you give your expectations to your folder. Hey, I need that to arrive in 20 days. Can you do this and that? Or you gotta, you gotta, you gotta start and learn how to read the codes. What is the transit time? What is the routing? Does it go via many, many different countries in the way? Is it a direct service? You gotta understand that there's a lot of different services and a lot of price tags for each service. You know, for example, we know how to ship a product from, from your Chinese supplier. It's a real story. From your Chinese supplier, to Amazon in less than 48 hours. Less than 48 hours from your supplier warehouse to Amazon, less than 48 hours, you'll pay tons of money for it. It's very, very expensive, but sometimes big sellers come to, hey, being out of stock is more expensive. So I don't care how much it's gonna cost. I need that, you know, I'm selling 200 units a day, 300 units a day. I need that product. I don't care how much it's gonna cost. And you can have your shipment head take 60 days. Because you're, you're, you want the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest price possible, you'll get, you'll, you, you, basically you get what you pay for. So make sure you understand what you want. Um, that's, the, that's, the, that's that. 
Um, another thing that we see a lot is people working with their not people not working directly with the freight forwarder. And what do I mean by that? When you import from China or when you import from India, a lot of the easiest way, you know, because you are already negotiating with your supplier, the easiest way will say, hey, dear supplier, how much is going to cost to ship it? You know, working under DDP term. Right. As we said earlier, DDP means your supplier is reliable to shipping your products. And you know what? If you have a small seller, if you're just starting now, it might be okay. You might be you might be okay with it. But when you grow bigger and you have an operation, you gotta have professionals on your side. It's like you are you have you know you have your uh, graphic designer and you have your copywriter and you have. Uh, you gotta have your own freight forwarder. Why? Because a your own freight forwarder would be able to offer much, much more services than your supplier. A supplier is not a freight forwarder. He contracts a Chinese freight forwarder. Or if you are shipping from India and you're asking your ship your supplier to take care of shipping, your supplier will go to an Indian freight forwarder and he will hire him. But what happens when you have a problem? When you have a problem, you will have to go through your supplier. You will have to talk to your supplier, and your supplier will have to talk to their freight forwarder, and you are caught in the middle. It's not a direct connection. A lot of the time, you won't have any solution. You'll they'll just tell you, hey, please sit there and wait. It's not a direct relationship. The, that freight forwarder doesn't know you. You are not the client. You don't. He don't care if you if you kill your business, you are not a client, you know, you cannot do anything. You're, you're a prisoner. And that's, a lot of people are, are seeing that now. Now, again, if you are a, fr a first time seller, if you're doing a small shipment, that's fine. But if you're doing a lot of shipments, if you're a bigger seller, working with your supplier is not the right way of doing that. Okay. Working with your own designated freight forwarder, that's the right way of doing it. Um, you can get advice, you can get consultation as part of your service. It's free because you pay for shipping, you, you deserve legal advice, you deserve uh, supply chain advice, you deserve other options, you deserve storage services, you deserve, you know, a lot of other services that you cannot get right. because you're not working for it for yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So um, I'm also interested in, you know, your consolidation services. So, of course, you offer freight forwarding and all, but can you tell us a little bit about your consolidation services? Yeah, sure. Because, you know, because we do, we mainly focus on Amazon businesses. We ship to Amazon a lot. Um, and we've, in recent years, we've seen that Amazon, if you create your shipping plan and your your ship from, you know, a lot of the time your your Amazon shipping plan, your ship to the designated Amazon uh, warehouse that they will give you, it a lot of time it depends on where you're shipping from. So when people ship from China, when they create the shipping plan and and put their ship from uh, the Chinese supplier address, they'll get um, they'll get a certain warehouse in Amazon, which is very very big. And we we we, st we we kind of figure that out. And what happens is we have full container loads going directly to Amazon every week. We have about ten to twelve containers every week going directly to Amazon warehouses, where we take a lot of different sellers, we combine them into one container, and that whole container goes directly to Amazon. That's because all of these sellers are going to the same way. And if we put them all in the same container, it helps us reduce prices. Crazy, sometimes 
actually 200% savings if you go with other sellers directly to Amazon. We have consolidation services to our Los Angeles warehouse. Uh, we have consolidation services to about um, four, five, I think five different big Amazon warehouses in the US today. Um, so whenever, whenever a person asks us for a quote, we will actually give him um, two, two different quotes. One is on our consolidation services. One is a regular LCL service um, for him. What are the difference? The difference is the, the consolidation service would be much cheaper, but you cannot do any change. The, 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 the bad thing is you cannot do any change because it's not your own shipping, it's a container. You cannot stop it in the middle. You cannot say in the middle of the shipping, hey, I'm sorry, I did a mistake. I cannot say, you cannot do that. It must go to Amazon. That's the, that's the con. The pros is it's cheaper, it's faster because nobody breaks that container. The container is being opened for the first time by Amazon. All right, so it's very fast and it's cheap. The problem is you cannot stop it anywhere in the middle. If you ship your own LCL shipment, we can stop it. We can change the destination whenever we want. So that's the pros and cons, and we make sure we and we tell that to our clients and clients getting two different quotes: consolidate consolidated service and a regular service. Regular okay. service will be much more expensive though. Mm. That's, I think, very useful for new sellers, especially, right? I mean, if they're just starting out with a smaller shipment new and seller, they don't want to get sellers, Yeah. Everybody's, everybody's using it. Awesome. Hey, Rafael, thank you so much. This has been so amazing. You've offered so much great information that I'm sure our listeners will find very, very useful. So how can people reach you and what's the best way to, uh, you know, book your services if people need shipping uh, services? Easy, just Google Unicargo. Uh, we are all out there, Facebook, search Unicargo. We are very active on social media. Uh, we are very active, we have an active blog. Uh, we do a lot of webinars. So you can find us very easily, just Google Unicargo. My personal email, uh, I think you can share that. I'm the CEO of the company. You come to me when you have a problem. Um, you can call, you can, contact me directly. I have my mobile number on my email signature, everybody. I'm very, I'm very reachable, very, very reachable. I always open a WhatsApp. I am almost 24 hours a day um, available. Um, so my personal email is rafael at unicargo.com. And if you need a quote, just go log into Unicargo or go through our Facebook uh, chatbot where you have a special um, sequence to get a quote. Just search Unicargo on Facebook. Um, that's it. Thank you very much, Megla. Fantastic. So you have a chatbot for getting a code. That's so uh, interesting. <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you so much, Rafael. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, Thank for listening. And we'll see you next time.